Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. This week's guest is guitarist Julian Lage from his album Sounding Point. This is Clarity. My guest is guitarist Julian Lodge. His new album is Sounding Point, and it's my pleasure to welcome Julian to the show. Thanks so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's let's start right off with the instrumentation on this record, which uh, features guitar, saxophone, cello, bass, and percussion, and there are some guests and some different groupings, but the kind of right. core band right. is made up of those elements. How did you arrive at that particular palette? I guess I arrived out of curiosity. I mean, I spent my... You know, years growing up as a guitar player, playing with traditional jazz groups mostly, you know, piano, bass, and drums, and saxophone, and trumpets. And and when I moved to Boston a few years ago, I I was interacting with a lot of awesome players. And, for example, one of them was the cellist, Aristides Rivas, who I met through Danilo Perez. I actually met all of them through Danilo. And so just out of curiosity, I said, you know what, I've never played with a cellist. Let's try it. And we did, and I, I kind of fell in love with it. And, um, Oh, that works great with guitar. Then, then I, at the same time, I had I was forming this amazing relationship with Ben Rosette, who plays alto saxophone. And I thought, well, it'd be so interesting to see what cello and saxophone sound like together, and um, you know, similar tam, not, well, different timbre, but but same range of notes. You know, a cello can go a lot lower, but um, and a bit higher. But it, it, curiosity, <laughs> you know, I said, what if I do this? What if I do that? And then before I knew it, I had this group that was somewhat unique, at least to my experiences. It seems like there might be some practical value to it as well, especially when you're mm. playing a- acoustic guitar in terms of finding a an easier blend and not having to kind of ride over much uh, louder instruments. Is that... Well, that, that's exactly. part of it. I mean, on the recording, I the, the, the pieces I do with my group and in live performance is with an electric acoustic guitar, so I, I do count on amplification just to push me a little bit over, because with just a purely acoustic... Um, the saxophone and drums are louder. But 
it allows me to kind of pretend <laughs> that I'm on the acoustic side because everything else is acoustic. And like you say, it's a reasonable volume. It doesn't overwhelm the guitar sound. And, yeah, that was a big part of it. I mean, I think to address that point, having an untraditional, non-traditional drum kit was crucial. You know, there's no snare drum. It's primarily wooden. There's the uh, the cajon, and there's frame drums and other things. And, and yeah, that really, really works well with with a, maybe a quieter-sounding guitar, I think. On this record, you've uh, revisited some music that you played and, and recorded with Gary Burton's band. And mm-hmm. uh, with, the, with the advantage of some additional time, did you hear some things that you wanted to, to kind of change or thoughts you wanted to expand on? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, one of the pieces I did with Gary and re-recorded, it's called Clarity, I guess I, I, I had played that song a lot in the form that I played with Gary and I played with other bands, but I always enjoyed the general feel and the form, so I, I used it as a vehicle to write for this new instrumentation. And in that process, I discovered things that I kind of never explored about it, like thematic development and and other compositional techniques that I think were just waiting to be uh, you know tried out with that, with that material. So yeah, it, it was really fun uh, to kind of... Uh, I guess recycle would be the right word. And are those, some of those new techniques that you've brought to the music uh, on this record, are those techniques that you've picked up kind of in the intervening years, so to speak? I mean, it's been about four years, really, since you were playing with Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so, yeah. I mean, in in those years, I focused a lot of my attention on classical composition. And um, though I'm not in any way an accomplished classical composer meaning like the traditional styles I'm not fluent in but I did learn a lot about you know a systematic approach to writing you know that it's it's not an accident that these people are able to write you know string quartets and whatnot there's there's a certain amount of understanding behind it you know how to write counterpoint how to write cohesive melodies and so on so yeah I've kind of applied those techniques to my band um, it's it's hard to know whether I would have come to this conclusion without having known something about you, but uh-huh. the instrumentation of your band reminds me, uh, to some degree, of uh, some of the more traditional kind of Indian instrumentations, where there oh, are you know some kind of low pitched stringed instruments. Yeah. I, I don't want to refer to the bass in this band or the cello as a drone instrument, but instruments that can kind right. of hold down that place in the music, right. and then you know a hand percussion. Uh, and then usually, in most cases, a, a sitar or something like that, uh-huh. but in your case, a guitar. And I know uh-huh. you've studied some Indian classical music. Do you think that kind of the, the sonic palette that you use has been influenced by your studies in that area? I, I think it has, actually, but less directly than maybe some of my studies in um, the work of Astor Piazzolla, you know, who had a band with... God, I was just watching him last night. Bandignon, uh, violin, guitar, bass, and piano. Um a really incredible band with those incredible yeah. <laughs> band. I mean, yeah, exactly. The concept behind that would is you know Piazzolla basically he was able to be the band leader, but everybody in the group was so unique, and you wanted you know you were kind of sucked into that. The Indian um, music that I studied was focused around tabla and sitar, and um, I was always fascinated in very small configurations. You know, maybe a sitar and tabla with a drone or maybe just tabla. So I would say that my actual band is more a product of my studies of those other kind of um, South American groups, which are bigger in nature. But you're right, man. I think there's no way it couldn't have influenced my uh, my choices.
you play a solo guitar on this record and obviously you know in your performing career as well and I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you approach the guitar when you are the entire band as opposed to when there are other people mm, supporting you that's a great question uh well, I mean, quite honestly, I'm not, I don't have a ton of experience playing solo guitar. Um, I, I'm trying to gather it <laughs> at this stage in my life, but I was always kind of a group player. That was what I, I studied and, and was always trying to play in groups. But, you know, you're right. There's a difference between playing solo on any instrument and in a group. And, and what I've been trying to think about lately is if I find myself alone in my practice room, then it's solo music. And if I find myself in a room with a bunch of musicians, then we'll play in a group. And I'm trying to treat it more as circumstantial, because I get a little overwhelmed if I think, it's solo guitar, I have to have bass, rhythm, melody, all firing all the time, you know. But if I simply say, well, I've, all I have is a guitar and I'm by myself, I guess I'll make music given that circumstance. I tend to like the, the outcome a lot better. But I'm, it's still kind of a new new territory for me. On the record, I do solo guitar, and I think it's two or so pieces are um, improvised in a detuned acoustic guitar. And yeah, I, 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 I think it's at the beginning of hopefully a long, you know, <laughs> a long lifespan of solo guitar. What does a detuned acoustic guitar mean? Tell us what that means. Well, for this one, it just is everything down a half step. So traditional uh, Western tuning for guitar is E, A, D, G, B, E. Wow, I should so know that's this. That's the every good boy deserves favor or whatever the Exactly, exactly. Right yeah, yeah, that's how my dad learned it, that every good boy, then, yeah, every, then he passed it on to me. Um, so what I did is uh, I just kind of put it down a half step, which which obviously gives you lower a little bit lower pitches but the strings become looser so you hear a little more jangly sound and it's it's uh i was kind of going for that um, i wanted you to feel the way the strings are moving and sometimes when they're too tight you just hear the pitch and you don't hear the string so that's my that's my concept <laughs> You were a teenager when you joined uh, Gary Burton's band, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, how that came to pass. When I was 12, I played on the Grammy Award ceremony, and Gary was in the audience, and he saw me. Hey, me too. You were there? No, of course not. So oh. actually, let's back up even further and discuss the fact that you were 12 and you played on the Grammys. So I was going to kind of walk us backwards, but since you led with when I was 12, I played on the Grammys, there's really no way to continue a story that begins with that phrase. Oh, so, uh, I guess not. Yeah. Guess not. So okay, let's, let's dig in. Yes. Let's back up. Okay, when I was seven, there was a documentary made about me. And this wasn't a documentary for promotional purposes at all. There's actually a... Um, the thesis project for a student at Stanford University, and he is a fantastic, fantastic director. His name's Mark Becker, and he had an interest in the local music scene, and he said, you know, I want to do a movie about uh, a young musician balancing school and, um, you know, trying to be a musician. This was his concept. And given those key points he was looking for, everyone kind of directed him towards me. He said, here's your guy. And, um, 
anyway, we turned down the offer, my parents and I thought, well, there's no really good reason to do this, <laughs> you know, because we're not promoting, we're not in any way of trying to exploit what I'm doing, and, and I've been playing for a couple of years. Anyway, that turned out to be a really cool film, and was nominated for an Academy Award, it's kind of hip, and the Grammy Awards had seen it, and so when I was 11, they had said, oh, we saw your film, we want to do this thing about young musicians, would you like to do it? We said, sure, and then last minute, it didn't work out for on their end, so they said, oh, actually, we're, we're going to wait a year, so the following year, they, they when I was 12, they, they had me featured as part of this, part of this young jazz group, and, um, and that was a really cool thing for me, because it was brief but it had a lot of exposure. It's where I saw Gary. You know, I didn't even see him, but he wrote me a letter, actually, like a week after I got home. He said, hi, I'm Gary Burton, and I'd love for you to do a gig with me, very old-fashioned. And so from the time I was 12 until 17, we were working together. You know, earlier on, it was less frequent, but by the time I was 15 or 16, it was, um, you know, about 70 shows a year. We had made two records, and um, it just was one of the best experiences of my life, you know, because... It came at a time where I, I really was open. I still am, I think, but very open to having a strong band leader. And I think Gary's one of the absolute greatest band leaders. Yeah, I mean, it created a platform for me to kind of enter into the, the, the professional music community in a way I hadn't. And I picked up a lot of information about how I want to, you know, kind of build my career from here on out. You know, I'm I'm sure you have now told this story 700 million times. And so for you, when you say like, oh, and then I was seven and I, you know, it was a documentary and it was nominated yeah. for an Academy Award. And then I was 12 and I played with Gary Burton and on the Grammys. And But, you know, to any kind of rational person listening, it's a, it's a very odd story. And so I think we need to, we need to just ask a few more questions. Like, yeah. um, so how the hell did all that happen? I mean, you, you were already playing for a couple of years when you were seven. I mean, so was right. I, it was just like with star Wars characters. It was, you know, not really right, on right. professional gigs. So, right, I mean, right. you need to talk, you know, it's, it's just not a normal thing. Yeah, no, no, it's funny. One of the, one of the unexpected benefits, I suppose, of this lifestyle that I've grown up with is I've had to look at this from a very um, objective point of view, you know, because, yeah, like, being the subject of all this, I go, yeah, there's no one really in my age group who is doing this. It was a little bit weird. It was kind of like an outcast. I was, um, so, yeah, I think I can speak to that. Um, I suppose a lot of it is circumstantial. Growing, I grew up in a family of five children. I was the youngest. Every else had their thing, you know, they were great in school, or they were fascinated by design, or this or that, whatever. So for me, guitar playing, you know, I started because my dad played, and he played not professionally, but I guess for me, that was kind of my outlet. You know, everyone else had their thing, like, they loved it, and, and I said, okay, well, I'll pour all my time into guitar. And So by the time I was seven, I was already... You know, I had been taking lessons since the beginning with teachers who really were great, you know, and kicking my butt. And um, I just kind of was, in that, <laughs> I guess, at the right place at the right time. You know, I, I had time on my hands and I played all the time. So by the time I was seven and started getting recognition, it manifested in me playing with people in the Bay Area, which is where I grew up, San Francisco Bay Area. And here there's a lot of um, venues to play. There's restaurant gigs, there's bar gigs, there's private parties, whatnot. So my guitar teachers kind of took me under their wing and said, you know, play with us here, do this one gig. And that was it. You know, I was in the community. I was this young guy trying to to break in, I suppose. But it was never for, for um, to 
to make a career out of it. It was more just kind of like, um, almost like I just was fascinated by it, so I thought I would get as much experience, but not to the end of being rich and famous. Yeah, but how did you, I mean, listen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're talking about when you were like seven. I mean, that you know... You weren't a young guy trying to break in is like Miles goes to New York when he's 17, right? And he tries to find Charlie Parker and says, I'm going to break in. And he's he's old enough to make, well, looking from my age now back, he's not really. But let's pretend he was old enough to make Uh at least some mature decisions about what to do with his life. How did you even, you were seven, how did you even frame the idea of like gigging? I mean, there are no seven-year-olds who do that. (laughs) They don't, seven-year-olds don't go to jazz clubs. Seven, I mean, or if they do, it's infrequent. Seven-year-olds don't have, I don't think, the average seven-year-old, a concept of, even a concept of career, like a career Mm. path, other than, you know, I want to be a fireman, but not not what that means and the work that would go into it. So, yeah, I think I wanted to be a, when I was around five, I wanted to be a postman and live in the backyard (laughs) of my parents' house. (laughs) So I was, I was that kid. I was, but I think, I think to put in perspective is like I just had that almost enthusiast mentality. You know, it could have been train sets. It could have been anything. It just happened to be guitar. And if you like trains and you go and you research it and you do stuff, that's why I was saying I didn't have a career path at all. If anything, I think what kind of kept me uh, feeling comfortable. I mean, was without a doubt my parents because they. You know, they had enough experience to see which situations seemed correct or which wouldn't be safe. You know, you don't want to leave a seven-year-old in a bar by himself on a Saturday night. Fair enough. But they kind of made sure that I was playing, getting the fulfillment that I sought as a musician, but without the extra stuff of trying to break in or that stuff. And when I say break in, I really refer to being, you know, even today I see young musicians in the Bay Area, like where I grew up, where... They're young. I mean, they're maybe 15, they're in their teens, but everyone knows they're the young guys who are going to go through the lineage of guitar teachers. You know what I mean? That's what I mean, breaking. Not like, I wasn't breaking into the New York scene at seven. And I'm still, I'm, I'm just now kind of breaking in. So, um, like you said, you said, how do you frame gigs at that age? Well, I don't know. I didn't go to summer camps. I didn't do any extracurricular activities. So for me, going out to a venue where there's music is, is how you spend your time, you know? And my parents were just so responsible that they never they never put me in a shocking situation where I was freaked out. It was always like, I don't know, it was always really responsible. To come back to uh, Sounding Point, your new mm. record, it uh, it obviously draws on a very wide spectrum of, mm. of musical uh, influences and, and tastes. And mm. I wonder how you um, how you feel about having the term jazz applied to to what you do, which seems to be fairly common in the in the mm-hmm. press when they talk about you. I think it's fine. I think it's it's totally cool. Um, I don't. I, I just. I, I think the only place where I would feel like maybe it's it's not the perfect fit is um, 
less to do with the term and more to do with how people perceive it. You know, if they come to my show or try want to hear my music and they're expecting traditional jazz with, like I said earlier, you know, bass, drums, guitar, and saxophones, all that stuff, it's not going to be... Um, our priorities aren't the same priorities of a traditional jazz group, you know. But I feel jazz is fair because, it, I mean, my music is a lot about improvisation. And not just taking solos, but improvised form, improvised composing, having variables in the composition that say, well, you know, every night you can play this part totally different wherever you want it, any key, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Um, it's not exclusively jazz, though, you know. As much as I draw from the jazz world, I also draw from, you know, my love for acoustic music and bluegrass and um, my love for classical composition. So, yeah, man, jazz, I, I grew up as a jazz guitar player, no question about it, but I wouldn't say it's limited to uh, to that lineage. There's a couple of uh, musicians in particular that I wanted to just ask you for your thoughts about, and the first is Taylor Eichstee, the pianist. Yeah, Taylor... Um, I love Taylor. Uh, I mean, as as a person, as a player, I think he's really, really special. I don't think I know he's special, and and um, I've been so fortunate to kind of be his collaborator over the years as a duo and in his group. When he was working a lot with his quartet, I was a part of that. And I don't know. I mean, I just I all I could say he, he's he's one of the most inspiring musicians to watch work because he works harder than anybody I know and he can draw on influences that are just so diverse and bring them together with this virtuosity which to him is so natural and everyone I mean even I mean I'll watch him play night after night I'm just going how can a person create consistent sound beautiful technique great ideas and do it so effortlessly and I just feel so lucky because I'm, I'm pretty close to his age but I still I really see him as you know, kind of an icon in the, in the field because he's doing something that's so him, and I learn a lot. So it's just one of these anomalies anomalies in the music world where I just I get to be around someone who I would, if I weren't playing with him, I'd probably be transcribing his stuff <laughs> and checking out. But because we're good friends, I can uh, I can make fun of him, and that's it all evens out. <laughs> Another person I wanted to ask you about, and this is going a little bit further back, but is David Grisman and how you how yeah. you first connected with him. We met at a guitar show in the Bay Area. They have these meet, meets, like uh, kind of like a like a flea market, but for old guitars. And I was ten, I was young, and it was just something my dad and I went to do, kind of as a hobby. And um, anyway, uh, we met, we played. He invited me to come over and play more. We did some recording and. I think that was one of the greatest things I ever, you know, was a part of because from an early age, my role model was someone like David Grisman, who kind of doesn't fit in anyone's style. You know, he has dog music. That's his style. And he was the one who turned me on to Django Reinhardt. He's the one who turned me on to Bluegrass. He's the one who taught me about acoustic music and how you really have to produce a good sound. You can't just rely on the amplifier. And also his career has been such a great example in how you can really mix and match what you like about different kinds of music and 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 get a band of great players and you're going to have kind of a presentable group. So I've been so inspired by him. And recently I, I've gotten to play with him some more and, and I've developed a really great relationship with his son, Sam Grisman, who's maybe a year younger than me, might be 20, I don't know. Anyway, he lives in Boston like I do and we play all the time. And uh, You know, we talk about the Young Lions and jazz, but the Young Lions and... and 
bluegrass and acoustic music is just they are heavy <laughs> really heavy so i'm trying to i'm trying to keep tabs on them What is kind of ahead for you, and by that I don't mean you know what are the next several weeks of gigs, but I mean how do you how do you kind of see like the next phase playing mm. out for you? Is are you kind of just riding the wave and seeing where it goes? Do you have kind of a plan that you're following? Is it a mixture? It's a mixture. I mean, there's definitely momentum that's been created from the record and from the band, and I guess my biggest responsibility right now is to write, write, write lots of music because. Um, we always need music, <laughs> and my focus in the in the compositional area is on. Uh, I guess I'm trying to steal as much as possible right now uh, from from the great writers because I'm, I have a group that can play string quartets. You know, we can the instruments are in the correct range to actually see what it feels like to play Beethoven. And for example, we have a gig coming up where I, I'm gonna. I'm having the group play a, a, one of Steve Reich's pieces, Nagoya Marimba, having it for, for bass and cello. I mean, personally, I would love to just be able to write music in that style, but I just haven't studied it. So the best bet is to have the band actually perform, you know, like a Steve Reich piece. We'll be performing a Piazzolla piece. I'm just, I think right now it's, it's time for the group to really get used to playing a lot of different variations. Because, like, you know, it's not a jazz group, so we've never gotten together and played Autumn Leaves or Stella because you know the cellist comes from a classical background Tupac the drummer comes from also a classical background and that's we don't meet on the standards level so that's been a challenge in some respect because that's how jazz musicians get to know each other right you play a bunch of stuff in a jam session but it's been cool because now we can play a bunch of classical stuff and kind of see the limits of our uh, of our playing so I'm in a research and development phase right now and I see myself continuing until the next record, which we'll do uh, sometime early in 2010. Well, it's, I mean, it sounds really exciting to be kind of free of free of barriers or preconceptions in mm. that way. It seems like it you're is. in a you're in a good place for music making. I feel super lucky. It's it, it's exciting, and it's also um, a formidable challenge, you know, because it's. I think um, with the first record, I've set myself up to go in a, a, whatever direction I'd like, you know, and hopefully. Like I told someone the other day, I said, you want to, you want people to expect unexpected from this band. What's nice is it motivates me to become a better musician in the process, you know, because I have to just to hang on, <laughs> you know, I have to develop as an improviser and a composer. So it's kind of a self-perpetuating process. And uh, yeah, it is. It's very exciting.
That's Julian Lodge from his album Sounding Point. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music, and you can sign up for it at TheJazzSession.com. If you are a Facebook user, just search for The Jazz Session. You'll find a group for the show, and I give away music there, too. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at RespectSextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Session's logo. The Jazz Session is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever and as often as you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.